Father, we've just sung that you would open up our eyes to help us to see you. And uh, please, Lord, would you do just that? Whether we've um, been following you for years, whether we're not yet following you, whether we're still investigating the claims of Jesus, help us to open our eyes to see who he is and what it means to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. In the early 1990s, there was a bit of a fad called Magic Eye. Does anyone recognize these Magic Eye books? It seems as if everybody's coffee table across the land of England had a Magic Eye book on it. Um, if you don't know uh, Magic Eye, basically on each page was, was an image a bit, a bit like this. Uh, it's a bit of a, a fl- sort of flurry of different colors. And the idea is, as you look at this image, as you sort of look at it slightly funny, eventually you're going to see a 3D image appear out of it. I say apparently because I never saw anything. And despite the fact that every single birthday people would give me a magic eye book. I swear I had six of these books at one point. I tried to find one in a bric-a-brac shop around here and I was amazed I couldn't find any because I had loads. I must have had all of them. But some people would look at it and go, oh yes, isn't it obvious? It's the, it's the Sydney Opera House. It's the, uh, Lon- it's the London skyline. And I'm looking at it there going, it's not obvious at all. All I'm getting is a headache. It's not that obvious. Now, out of interest, put up your hands if you, if you, if you ever did one of these. If you ever, uh, okay, now keep your hand up if you ever saw anything. <laughs> it's just me, isn't it? <laughs> it's just me. Well, in some ways, we're going to see today, in some ways, seeing who Jesus is is a bit like that. Some people look at him and it's, it's obvious. And other people look at him and they're not quite sure. Um, we once had a set of in, uh, identical twins come on one of our Christianity Explored courses. They were, they were students. They're both studying history. Uh, both of the same family background, same, same everything really. And they both came to this course. They both were looking through Mark's gospel and the claims of Jesus there. But at the end of the course, one of them saw clearly who Jesus was, and the other was left scratching his head. And imagine there'll be people here today for whom whom that sort of resonates. Maybe you've been coming to St. John's for a while now, and the people who've been encouraging you along saying, come, 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 keep looking, there's something here, there's something here, keep looking. But for the life of you, a bit like me with magic eye, you, you just don't see it. Or maybe you're that person who's been encouraging someone to come along. And for the life of you, you can't understand why they're not getting it. You've been praying for them for years. You've been bringing them to events. You've been throwing books at them, a bit like people threw those magic eye books at me. But they just don't see. They just don't see. Well, our passage today explains that phenomenon to us. Seeing Jesus' identity isn't just a matter of intelligent investigation. No, seeing who Jesus is requires a miracle. Why is that? Well, you'll see in our first point on your handouts. By nature, we are all blind to Jesus' identity. Look down at verse 31 in your Bibles. That's uh, page 1053, uh, verse 31. If you'd be so kind, follow along with me. Luke writes this, Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, see, 
Now our translation misses out that word. See, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man must be fulfilled. He will be turned over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. But on the third day, he will rise again. Jesus wants his followers to see who he is and where he's going. So he lays it out plainly, doesn't he? He is the son of man. He's the one who we met back in Daniel 7 as we began our service earlier. The one to whom has been given all authority over all nations for all time. Jesus is the son of man. And yet, he is heading to Jerusalem, where his mission is to suffer, die, and then rise again. Jesus is in complete control. Everything has been foretold according to the scriptures. But what is the disciples' response? Do they see? Look at verse 34. The disciples did not understand any of this. Its meaning was hidden from them, and they did not know what he was talking about. It's funny, in just one verse, Luke describes their blindness in three different ways. And you might think that's really, really weird, because surely if anybody was going to see who Jesus was and what he was come to do, surely it would be these men. They've been traveling with him for years. They've had VIP access all the way. They've had front row seats at every single event. But they just don't see. And it's not as if Jesus has been particularly unclear or cryptic, has it? He's been speaking pretty plainly. He's repeated this same message again and again. Apparently this is the sixth time in Luke where Jesus tells them basically this thing. He's shown them again and again from the scriptures why this has to be the case. It's not a surprise. But still, they don't see. They're spiritually blind. Now, spiritual blindness can come in different forms, can't it? I used to study theology of my undergraduate degree. And I couldn't for the life of me understand why some of my lecturers couldn't see who Jesus was. Their job was to read the Bible all day, right? They, they could recite whole passages of Scripture from memory. They can make the most insightful links and comments and write brilliant commentaries on. But ask them who Jesus is, and, and, and they're floundering. They're blind, just like the religious experts in Jesus' day. I also know people who almost have a, a philosophical commitment not to see who Jesus is. Uh, one friend called Chris, who I meet up with every now and then to, to play games with, um, he is insistent that Jesus is not God because there is no God. So I ask him, well, have you ever read one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life? Do you want to have a discussion about some of your objections about science or philosophy or history? No, 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 no. He's like a He's like a man who's holding his hands over his eyes and complaining he can't see. He can't see because he won't see. You'll probably know people like this, I'm sure, who just won't entertain the idea that Jesus is who he says he is. They're blind. 
And perhaps your response to this is just to get really frustrated, to get really annoyed with them, to get agitated with them. Why can't they see? The 18th century pastor, uh, D.L. Moody, he was based in Chicago, he, he once told a story which he, he read in a local newspaper. It was uh, just before Christmas, and um, the, the shopping center in that part of town was, was beautifully lit up, and each shop window was, was amazingly decorated with all the things you could buy for, for Christmas presents. And uh, this uh, reporter, he, he noticed that um, uh, at one of these shop windows, it was a toy shop with three girls, and that they were marveling at, at the, the beautiful dolls in, in the shop window. But as this man got nearer to them, he realized that the girl in the middle was blind. And the two girls either side of her were trying to describe to her how amazing this sight was. They're saying, they're saying can't, you, can't you see that teddy bear? Isn't it wonderful with a bow? And can't you see that doll over there? Why can't you see it? It's great. Why can't you see it? And they're getting more and more agitated with this girl. The blind girl was just had no expression. She just, just, just don't see it. I don't see what I'm supposed to be excited about. Moody explained, this is a bit like our efforts to arouse spiritual interest in unbelievers. No matter how hard we try, by our own efforts, we can't remove their blindness. So we shouldn't feel frustration. We should feel pity. Pity. But there is a way in which even Christians, even people who follow Jesus, how even we can be blind to his identity. A couple of years ago, I was, I was greeting on, on the door at the back there just before the morning service, and um, yeah, a, a sort of middle-aged guy came in, took a service sheet off me, and I said, hello, welcome, nice to see you. And he took the service sheet and, and, and uh, sort of dipped his head around the corner through those double doors at the back. And he promptly shoved the, uh, the service sheet back in my hands and went, no, 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 wrong brand of Jesus. And off he went. Wrong brand of Jesus. Now, I think what he meant by that is, I'm, I like a ceremonial sort of church, which is really sacramental. I'm really up for that sort of high church stuff. That's probably what he meant. But what he said revealed that he thought that there are all these different types of Jesus, and we're at liberty to simply pick and choose which one we want. Here the disciples clearly wanted a warrior, Jesus. A son of man who would come and crush the nations. And not, in verse 32, a son of man who would be mocked and spat at by the nations. They wanted Jesus to head to Jerusalem to kick out the Romans, not to be crucified by the Romans. It's as though they, they took Jesus' title, that, that, that packaging if you like, but removed the actual content and then stuffed it with their own meaning and their own agenda, their own wants and their own desires. And friends, to some extent, we all do this. We all do this. Some of us here, we might worship private school Jesus. Do you know private school Jesus? Uh, private school Jesus just wants us to be a good chap, uh, look smart, sing the national anthem. Private school Jesus. Do you know uh, success Jesus? 
He just blesses our idolatrous compulsion for greatness, for power, uh, for our children to excel in school and be the best. Success, Jesus. Some want a macho Jesus who considers openness with others, brokenness about our sin, dependence on other Christians. That's a bit sissy. Macho Jesus doesn't have any time for that. Some want a therapeutic Jesus who always affirms us in our decisions, never challenges us, never causes offence. Perhaps we want an insurance policy Jesus who's content to be your saviour and not your Lord. Friends, we might worship these plastic home brand Jesuses, but they're of our own invention. They're all counterfeit. We're not at liberty to take the name of Jesus and then stuff it with our own agenda. There is only one brand of Jesus. He's a person, and he gets to define himself, and it's our job to to follow him. Do you see this? Do you see this? Or are you blinded by your own wants and your own desires and your own plastic Jesus? Well, here's some good news. Whilst we're all, by nature, blind to Jesus' identity, the good news is that Jesus desires to give us sight. And that's our second point this morning. Jesus desires to give us sight. Look at verse 35. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. Now, I know this is a really familiar narrative. If you've been a Christian for a while, you think, I know this story. I know it. Take, bear with me. Imagine this is completely new to you. Consider for a moment this, the plight of this poor man. This was an era where there was no uh, social welfare or anything like that. Uh, Blind people were utterly dependent on their families to look after them. Most blind people were kept at home and their families would look after them. But the fact that this guy is begging by the roadside tells us he had nobody to care for him. He is blind. He is alone. He is the poorest of the poor. His days would have been incredibly long. Scratching together enough money to eat, drink, be lifted around. In Israel society, this man would have ranked the very bottom of social class. It was a class called the expendables. Expendables were lower even than lepers and tax collectors. And it's strange that unlike Mark's gospel, Luke doesn't even tell us his name. Perhaps to emphasize the fact that he's a complete nobody. And one more thing. Notice where he lives. He lives in Jericho. And if you know your Bibles, Jericho is synonymous with curse. Here was a social and spiritual outcast. His very existence was an embarrassment to Israelite society. He is expendable and without hope until the day when Jesus walked past. Look at verse 36. 
When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Do you see the irony here? The crowd, the crowd identify Jesus simply from where he's from. Oh, oh, yeah, he's Jesus from Nazareth. Um, a great preacher. I heard, I heard him once in the synagogue. Great preacher. Did a cracking sermon on Isaiah. He's from Nazareth. But it's the blind man who sees his true origins. We don't know how, but perhaps um, he'd already heard of Jesus' miracles. Perhaps he noticed Jesus' direction of travel to Jerusalem. But putting two and two together, he, he sees that this is the long-promised son of David. The one who's been anointed by the Spirit to preach good news to the poor. The one who will rescue the downtrodden, the oppressed, the blind. So naturally, what does he do? His one chance of hope, he cries out, Son of David, have mercy on me. I'm one of your subjects. I'm I'm a member of your kingdom. I'm one of the people you've come for. Son of David, have mercy on me. Imagine for a moment the Queen comes uh, to Hampstead next weekend. She's uh, doing a sort of procession down in South End Green. And you can imagine there there are crowds lining the roads. There are sort of children, uh, you know, waving little flags as she walks along. She's there, she's doing her, her sort of usual wave. She, she picks up the odd a bunch of flowers and she says, oh, what do you do? All the usual questions as she goes along the crowd. But then as she's going along, a local homeless man starts shouting out, hey, Her Majesty, Her Majesty, look at me, Her Majesty. What, what do you think would happen? The Secret Service would get on him in an instant, wouldn't they? They'll bundle him into the back of a van and take him away. Well, naturally here, the crowd, they try and shut this blind man up. This expendable. Specifically, verse 39, you'll notice it's the people leading the way, literally those at the front who rebuke him. Perhaps they think he just wants money. or Maybe they think Jesus' time, it's just not worth wasting on an expendable like this. He should be focusing on people at the front, respectable people. But despite the rebuke from the crowd, the blind man just keeps on shouting. (laughs) Keeps on shouting. It's almost like his his dire need completely eclipses his sense of shame. He must see the king. And then wonderfully, verse 40 happens. Verse 40. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. I love those words, don't you? Jesus stopped. Very rarely do I stop for anyone. If I'm on the way to somewhere, if it's a charity collector, I blank them. If it's a big issue seller, often they they get the cold shoulder. If it's a homeless person, I'm sorry, I don't give money. I carry on going. But here is the Son of Man, 
the son of David, the king of all creation, and he stops for an expendable. He's just told us he's traveling to his death. The prospect is is no doubt looming heavily on the forefront of his mind. He's got big things on his mind. And yet he stops for an expendable. What love is that? What compassion is that? What mercy is that? Friends, here is good news for us here today. Jesus stops for you. Yes, you no matter who you are, no matter how morally or or spiritually impoverished you might think you are, no matter how little light you might see in your present circumstances, Jesus stops and he desires to give you sight. He doesn't want us left floundering around in the darkness spending our days scratching around for our own salvation, begging for it, if you like. He doesn't want us to keep clinging on to our plastic Jesus. No, he wants us to see him as he really is. So when Jesus heals the man, he isn't just restored physically, he isn't just restored socially, he's restored spiritually. The word healed here in verse 42 It's the same word for the word saved. So literally Jesus says, receive your sight. Your faith has saved you. So I guess this healing, it confirms what the blind man already sees. Jesus is the king. But this king is heading to the cross. The son of man will face rejection from the nations in order to save the nations. At a mission conference a few years ago, one of the the platform speakers shared something of an amazing miracle which he saw on the mission field. I think this guy was based in rural Pakistan. And uh, part of his outreach method is that every village they went through, they'll put up a big screen and show the Jesus film. Do you know the Jesus film? Are you aware of that? It's basically a a brief telling of of the life of Christ. And um, he he would show that wherever he'd go. And in one particular village, uh, there was a woman called Pani. And Penny was, was, uh, was listening in to this film. And I say listening because she was blind. Everyone else was watching this, this video and, and enjoying it, but she was there just listening to what was going on. And it came to the point of the film of this passage where Jesus healed the blind man. And hearing that, she'd never heard of Christ before. She was deeply moved. She cried out, I, I want to receive my sight as well. And at the end of the film, Panny could see. She recovered her sight. Now when the the, the preacher, when the speaker at the conference told everyone this, the the conference went wild. I mean, this this was a respectable guy. You don't often hear of miracles on on the mission field. People went, wow, that is amazing. Praise God. But the speaker said, no, 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 I haven't told you the miracle yet. No, the real miracle wasn't the restoration of her sight. The real miracle was is that she came to see Jesus is her Lord and Saviour. She turned away from her pagan idols to trust in him at great personal cost. She began following Jesus. That is the real miracle. 
As I close, I've got three questions for us. They're there on your sheet. Firstly, will you cry out for mercy? Imagine some of us here might balk at that. Cry out for mercy. It sounds like a little bit of a sissy thing to do, doesn't it? A bit of a wimpy thing to do. We might think of ourselves as quite strong, uh, independent, self-sufficient. We're not the sort of guys who'd cry out for mercy. If that's what you're thinking, I'm afraid you are spiritually blind. But there will be people here this morning who see things more clearly. People who have an acute sense of their spiritual need. People who are painfully aware of their brokenness before God. Like the blind man, you might not know everything about Jesus, but you certainly know enough. And you know he's the only one who can restore you back to your God. If that's you today, will you cry out to the son of David? Because he will stop for you. And he will restore your sight. If that's you, please come chat with me later on. I'd love to introduce you to the King of Kings. I'd love to explain what it will look like to follow him. Please come grab me afterwards. I'll be around here. Please come speak with me. But will you cry out for mercy? But it might be you're already following Jesus. And to you, my question is this. Will you follow him with your eyes open? A bit like the disciples. I think there's, there's something in all of us who, who want to follow a glorious, victorious saviour. We want one, a saviour who's just going to make our life smooth, easy, successful, popular, but friends, the road to glory is the cross. And you need to see this. Or like the disciples, will we abandon Jesus as soon as life gets hard? They thought Jesus was a warrior king, and when they discovered he isn't, they left him. I think the proof here in this passage that the blind man wasn't just interested in getting his sight back. The proof of that is that after he was healed, he doesn't stay in Jericho. He doesn't return to his community of friends. No, he follows Jesus on the road to the cross. It's as though he sees what the disciples don't see. Friends, it is high time that you throw away your home brand plastic Jesus. The one you formed out of your own image. The one who you carved out of your own wants and own desires. It's high time for us to see who Jesus is and seeing who he is and seeing what sort of saviour he is, following him with our eyes open. But lastly, will you see, will you follow with joy. Yes, being a Christian is going to be hard, but notice how this passage ends on a note of praise. The blind man praises God. The crowd praises God. Everyone is praising God. But you can't force that, can you? You can't force that. Um, When I was 19, I was was on a short-term mission trip to the Gambia in West Africa, and I I was a part of a a team of other Christians there. But for the life of me, I couldn't understand, understand them. They were so joyful, they were so servant-hearted, so full of praise, 
and so keen to talk about Jesus. And I couldn't see why they were like that. And I couldn't see why I wasn't like that. For them, Jesus was just wonderful. For me, Jesus was just a bit of old hat, a bit familiar. What is the solution to our praiseless, joyless hearts? Because the problem is not that we don't know what we should be doing. I I, I mean, it's no good me telling you, sing louder, sing more joyfully, if you don't feel it. It's no use, David, telling you in the notice, come to the prayer meeting if you don't want to pray. Come to the confirmation service tonight. Join in praise as people declare their faith. If you don't want to come, you won't come. What's the solution then? What will turn our lips to praise? What will turn our lips to prayer, to, to proclamation? Well, there's no silver bullet. There's no technique, no shortcut, no discipline. After four months living with those Christians in the Gambia, I realized what they had and what I didn't. They saw. They saw their blindness and their sin far more acutely than I did. And that meant they saw their need for Jesus going to the cross far more than I did. Which meant that like this man here, they saw Jesus clearer than I did. And they were full praise and I thank God for their witness to me and I thank God for them leading me to know my saviour more clearly are you full of praise do you see your saviour let's pray Father God, we acknowledge that by nature we are blind. We are stuck in the darkness of our own sin and we cannot help ourselves. Thank you for the son of David. Thank you for the son of man. The one to whom has been given all authority over all nations and yet he went to the cross to die for the nations. Thank you Lord that he can restore our sight. Help us to trust in him. Help us to put our faith in him and to follow him along the road. Not our own Jesus, not our plastic Jesus, but the real one. And help us to do that with great joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.